Welcome to the Heal Your Hormones podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle, and today I am joined by Jen Traypak, who is an optimal health coach, podcaster, and business consultant. After graduating from the University of Michigan Ross School of Business, Jen founded Better Life Now while working full-time in hedge funds. Then after over a decade of building her practice as a side hustle, Jen took the leap to full-time self-employment. And that's when she launched Salad with a Side of Fries podcast, where she empowers larger audiences to achieve optimal health. She helps aspiring wellness warriors break into the health world and mentors entrepreneurs to get started or level up. So today's conversation is going to focus around food and mood. We dive into how certain foods and alcohol impact our mood simple steps you can make to improve your mental health through your food choices and how to make healthy choices when battling hanger. So let's get to the episode. All right, Jen, I am so excited to have you here today. So welcome. Thank you for giving me your time. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for this. Yeah. So I would love for you to just kind of start us off by sharing a little bit about your background and how you came to be an expert on food and mood. Yeah. So, well, I didn't set out to become that expert, you know, (laughs) um, I also, you know, I came to this wellness stuff, like so many of us from my own story, I feel like I call it a saga. Cause I feel like the word journey, like doesn't do it justice, you know, (laughs) like it felt like it had a lot of drama. Um, but I was a dancer growing up. I kind of joke that I was the skinny one in a family of dieters. And then that went away. <laughs> I was like, oh, genetics are real. Um, but it was also like, I think it was really between high school and college when everything changed, you know, like wasn't dancing a million hours a week. It wasn't that I ate poorly, but all of a sudden I had to think differently. And then in college, like the food options were very different from what I had grown up with to some degree. And um, like, it was the first time I had to think about like, oh, do you go to a gym? (laughs) You know, like, what does a person do? And so I felt like, okay, got a gym membership, check that box. And then on the food part, I was like, well, I watched my family do this my whole life. You must do all these diets and the scale goes up and down and that's normal. And so that's what I did. And I was like on that merry-go-round roller coaster, like whatever you want to call it. And I was like, it was frustrating, but it was also what I knew, you know? So long story short, I think I tried every diet out there, right? Like there isn't diet a diet that I haven't done, my family hasn't done, or we don't know somebody who's done it. And in that process, I also learned about the curriculum that I now teach. And at first I was like, oh, no, that's okay. I don't need your thing. You know, I thought I had all the answers I needed. Meanwhile, I was living in the craziness of drama around food and the scale and everything else. But I didn't realize there was another way. And ultimately what made the difference is um, I saw people who were following this program, like I said, the curriculum I now teach. And one thing was that they were keeping it off. The second thing was this woman telling her story of losing like 150 pounds. And I just remember like everything she said after that, like I didn't hear, you know, it was like teacher and Charlie Brown. Cause I was having like a conversation in my own head of like, this does not compute. 
Like I was looking at her and I couldn't see where 10 pounds could have been on this woman's body, but she's telling me like another human was attached to her, you know? And I had this moment with myself of like, Jennifer, <laughs> you know, like they know something you don't know because this doesn't make any sense. So I worked with a coach. I followed the program. It completely changed my life. Like the only thing that's allowed me to say I've kicked my food issues. And so from there, I was like, everybody deserves this information. This is like the nutrition education we're all supposed to know and no one ever taught us, you know? And so I started working, you know, I got certifications and training and I started working with clients on the side of my full-time job. And I started to get into like, well, why isn't this what we learned? And how is this all so connected? Because, you know, I've, I've tried to tackle this from every side. And so why is it that this approach seems to work better than all these other things? And how are all these pieces connected? And so that's really sort of what led me down to this, you know, our today's conversation about food and mood that, you know, so often people will say, well, I just have to work on the mental side. You know, like it's my willpower or it's my mental fortitude that I can't do the thing. And the truth is it's both sides. And it is sometimes like a chicken and egg of which came first. But what we see based on how the body works is that it's actually much clearer. And we can see that the food that we eat, the nutrition we provide ourselves or don't, dramatically impacts what's happening cognitively. And so, you know, over and over I see people and it's, we're never going to outthink the gut and we can get into that. Um, but that's sort of how we got here. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So can you give us a little like, brief rundown of like, what is the program that you're using with your clients? What is oh, yeah. Um, so it's based on low glycemic impact nutrition. So we start out, it's 12 weeks. We start out really with like nuts and bolts sort of understanding nutrition and how foods impact our body and how our body processes and uses food. And then we get into all of the stuff that make this not quite so easy like sleep and stress and habits and, you know, parties and living a life and all of the things that compound and sort of sit on top of what we know, you know, we're in air quotes supposed to eat or not supposed to eat. Yeah. So yeah. if somebody is, you know, just kind of starting to understand or wanting to understand how food impacts our mood, what would you say to them? Yeah. So the first piece is there is a literal connection between the gut and the brain. It's called the vagus nerve. And we want to think of it like a five-lane highway. So three of the lanes go gut to brain. Two go brain to gut. So like I was saying before, we're never going to outthink the biochemistry of what our gut is sending everywhere else. And then when we look at, you know, how our body functions, how our brain functions, whether it's cognition and like thinking or emotional, right? Like what we're feeling, what we're experiencing, our ability to uh, take things in stride comes down to vitamins and minerals and nutrition 
and the the macronutrients true, like protein and quality fat and things, right? Our body needs those things to produce the neurotransmitters to give our body the chemicals and the blood sugar and all the things that it needs to function properly. So even when we think about the brain, old, old sort of cognitive thinking, like we talked about the brain and like left brain or right brain, you know, you remember that stuff of like, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm an art person or a numbers person. Yeah. Contemporary thought around cognition and the brain and understanding how we function is to think back of the brain and front of the brain. So back of the brain is like that reptilian brain, like fight or flight, survive at all costs. Everything is out to get us. I need to defend and like dig my heels in and panic at everything, right? The front of the brain, like the prefrontal cortex is what we call like higher order thinking. I can organize my day. I can see how something fits into the bigger picture. I can think long-term. And if we're ever going to shut off the back of the brain, we need proper fuel to balance our blood sugar. We need the neurotransmitters and we need them at the right times of the day. Even thinking about how we sleep at night. And listen, I am like so guilty of it with my phone. So we've all heard, right? Turn off our screens, the blue light. What's really happening though, like why it's such a challenge for our sleep is because those screens, TV, phone, any device gives off that blue light. Seventh grade science, like the light spectrum, blue light is the closest to light to sunlight that we can get. Our brain and the neurotransmitters and how our hormones function as far as, you know, day and night and what's supposed to be high and low at, at any given time is like our circadian rhythm. Like there's a method and a madness to it and a rhythm that it's supposed to take. Well, daylight plays a critical piece in that signaling. So if it's nighttime and our eyes are taking in daylight signaling, it's very confusing to the brain. The brain is going, I'm tired, but this is telling me it's daytime and I'm supposed to be awake and have energy. And so it'll often send us signals to eat because our body's exhausted, but we're telling it we're supposed to be awake. And it's going, if I'm going to stay awake, I need fuel because I've got nothing left. And so when we send those conflicting messages, it snowballs into what we experience down the road of like, I don't know why I can't fall asleep, right? Like we sort of expect that we're going to like put the phone down, turn the light off and like flip a switch and we're asleep. And then when that doesn't work, we're like, well, I, why, you know? And it's, so it's like these conflicting signals that we're sending with our food, with our habits. And I don't say that to be like doomsday. <laughs> I say it more so that it's like, no, it's, there's nothing wrong with you. It's all totally chemical and explainable. Right. And then with a couple tweaks, we can have a massive impact. Yeah. And that's a really good point. I definitely think that for most people, the mindless eating is worse at night and I think sometimes that has a lot to do with under eating during the day, but it yes. makes sense from the screen perspective. You know, I love that like computers and phones now, we they're settings to turn the blue light off, which obviously yep. we're still getting the light, but it is frustrating that with TVs, at least TVs that I've seen, they don't have that setting yet, which would be so nice if they did. Right. Or like, and then also too, like, especially if you're watching and like laying down, like you're not necessarily the glasses and things like that, that we could wear. Mm -hmm. It's not so functional. 
Yeah. yeah. Where, where are the TV people to adjust this for us? <laughs> I know. I know. I'll, I'll come someday. What foods, like what are some of the top foods that help our cognitive functions? Yeah. So interesting. Our brain is mostly fat, specifically DHA and EPA, right? So we need, or DHA mostly. So we need those quality omega-3s in order to fuel the brain. We need B vitamins, right? And B vitamins, first of all, stress depletes our B vitamins dramatically. So there may be a piece of saying like B vitamins are also water soluble, which means we're going to pee them out if we don't need them in that moment, right? Or when we get them. So something to think about throughout the day is, you know, quality fuel to give us the vitamins and minerals. I always say to everybody, protein and fiber at every meal. Protein is clean, lean protein. I don't, it, if you want animal or plant or something that we don't even know exists yet, whatever, <laughs> but clean, lean protein, because we need those amino acids to the, for the building blocks of a lot of these neurotransmitters. Fiber is vegetables and sometimes fruit. And, you know, we also need that quality fat. And so with the protein, fiber, and quality fat, we also keep our blood sugar even and stable which helps us function better. It helps eliminate a lot of the ups and downs that we experience. A lot of times we think we have no willpower, but ironically, we actually need to have enough blood sugar in order to have willpower. Like if our blood sugar is too low, it's all back of the brain. It is survival, right? If we're going to be able to use the front of the brain to think clearly, to plan and organize, right? We have to have fuel in our system and proper fuel and even blood sugar. Um, I think, you know, those are like what we call the macronutrients, right? Micronutrients like vitamins and minerals. I mentioned the B vitamins. CoQ10 is a big one, coenzyme Q10. It's really critical for energy of every cell and in particular muscle cells, but um, it does really powerful things. We also think about, you know, even just like we said, sun exposure, exercise and moving the body helps everything function. Um, you know, certainly the things like alcohol and stress and, you know, smoking, those are things that are going to take away from it. Sugar is a neurotoxin, right? So we want to sort of balance the things that can give us extra support and the things that are really doing us a disservice if we're looking to sort of support our proper function with you know, lifestyle and nutrients and things like that. Antioxidants are super important. So, you know, vitamin C, OPCs, there's a lot of antioxidants out there, um, but they promote health and uh, fight inflammation. Vitamin C also promotes what we call regulation of the synaptic efficiency. <laughs> so it helps our body create and use dopamine and glutamic acid, which is another thing. But right, the point being like, these are building blocks of fundamental human function. So a lot of us are familiar with vitamin C, right? We're talking a lot of your citrus fruits, um, even spinach and broccoli. For all of your antioxidants, think about colors, like the more we can eat the rainbow. So your vegetables and your fruits, and then how many colors can you get on a plate at a time? 
Because what's interesting about antioxidants is that people will say, oh, well, I take this, so I'm good. And what's interesting to me in the body is like, think of it like locks and keys. Like there isn't one key that's going to open every lock. So the same thing happens in our body. There's different sort of shapes and receptor sites. And so we need a variety of antioxidants to sort of fit all of those receptor sites in the body. So all of your berries and, you know, your fruits and vegetables are going to give you different kinds of antioxidants, right? The phytonutrients, the plant nutrients that our bodies really need. So like I said, like broccoli, yams, Brussels sprouts, carrots, spinach. If we're eating a variety, we're going to get what we need yeah, for the I, most part. Common thing I see, we get like kind of in this routine of eating similar things every day and we can be eating good things but if we're eating the same two vegetables for dinner every single night then at some point I mean they're still going to be good for us but they kind of lose their importance you know so not being afraid to rotate things out or totally access to like a farmer's market maybe going once a week once every other week maybe trying to find a vegetable that you have no idea what to do with and bring it home and figure out how to cook it Um, So you're getting that diversity. Absolutely. And eating seasonally too. Seasonally, not just, you know, in general, but specific to where you live is also going to help the fruits and vegetables that you do have, provided you're getting them locally, like you're talking about right from the farmer's market. It's going to help them be even better than, you know, maybe an orange that came from Florida and you live in Washington state. So our fruits and vegetables get nutrients from the soil. It can only get nutrients from the soil as long as it is connected to the vine. It is likely picked far before it is actually ripe, which means it's ripening in a truck, not connected to the vine. So the color might look right, but it doesn't have the same nutrient density as the same orange that actually stayed on the tree longer. So the more we can eat locally and seasonally, we're hopefully, depending on our farms, but hopefully upping the ante of the nutrient density of the foods that we're picking. Yeah, I love that. I love that you mentioned that piece about blood sugar too, because I work a lot with women with PCOS and infertility. And a lot of the times, pretty much every single episode, I talk about eating to balance blood sugar. And I talk about it from a standpoint of, you know, balancing your hormones and improving your fertility. But it's nice to hear from the perspective of supporting your brain health as well. So kind of tie in with the foods. Can you talk a little bit about how alcohol can impact our brain and mood? Yeah. So, I mean, we've all heard it, right? Alcohol can be such a downer, um, but it really induces stress on the body. And so it takes all of our function into this, you know, dealing with the alcohol instead of everything else. Our liver is a good example where like the liver did not get the multitasking memo. (laughs) Like our liver can only do one thing at a time. And so until, right, we call it intoxicated, until the alcohol, the highest level toxin is removed from the body the liver will not deal with anything else that is less toxic, like sugar and fat and other things that we've eaten. So what ends up happening is that all the systems in our body are hijacked by the alcohol. So a lot of times, you know, one of my specialties is weight management. 
And so a lot of times everybody says, oh, well, I know why, you know, alcohol, it's, it's the sugar, right? And it's then the mixers. And then once you have the alcohol, you don't care what you eat. And it's like, that's actually not it. It's really the liver. And so our cognitive function and our mood is really the same way with the alcohol, that everything is sort of hijacked by this until it's out of our system. And so if we want to give ourselves a fighting chance, alcohol is only going to disrupt it. It doesn't mean don't drink ever, right? But we have to choose what's reasonable for us and what makes the most sense given what our desired outcomes are and our level of commitment, our level of commitment to those outcomes. Yeah. I mean, especially with alcohol, it's like typically we're drinking at night and then we're going to bed and it's impacting our sleep and we're not yeah. having that time to, you know, for our brain to detox and for our body to kind of reset. And that, what I would say is completely not based on any sort of science, but in my mind, I'm like, maybe if we were to drink, it's better to drink during the day because at least it's not <laughs> going to impact our sleep as much at the first, you know, drinking at 10 PM at night where that's really messing with our sleep. But yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of times we think of like what comes along with the alcohol, but we don't really think about like, how does alcohol itself, even if we were to have just say like whiskey on the rocks, like without the sugar, yeah. without the late night pizza, you're whatever. speaking my language now. Yeah. How does that actually impact us? And for me, the biggest thing I notice when I drink is my sleep goes to complete crap and it's gotten worse yeah. as I've, as I've gotten older. And like that to me is what gives me the hangover is like the lack of sleep. Yeah. Well, and it's like, think about, we call it passed out, right? It's not actually sleep. Yeah. You know, it's not what we think of as proper sleep, like restorative quality sleep. It's passed out. Yeah. You yeah. know, and those are not the same things. Yeah. yeah. Are there any other times of the day that we should or shouldn't eat if we're trying to improve our mood? Yes. I love this question. Um, eat regularly and eat quality food, right? I think so often, and especially these days, I know you're a big fan of breakfast. I'm a big fan of breakfast, but I think with a lot of the fads and the things that we're hearing about, there's this push to skip breakfast and it's really doing us a disservice. People say that they think they their brain functions better. No, that is not better function. That is fight or flight survival function, right? And there's a big difference. So I typically recommend we want to eat within like an hour to 90 minutes of waking up. We want to start our day with quality nutrition, protein, quality fat, fiber, right? Keep our, set our blood sugar up, keep our blood sugar stable. And we want to eat regularly, whatever that means for you, for your day. Some people prefer bigger meals and fewer snacks. Some people prefer, you know, smaller things and eating more often. As long as what we eat when we eat is giving us the nutrition and keeping our blood sugar stable, we have the best chance to give our body everything it needs, the macro and the micronutrients, and supporting our blood sugar so that we can function and think clearly and do everything that we're expecting our bodies to do, you know, physically and mentally. Yeah, I think, you know, with the breakfast component, well, by now, if you've listened to this podcast, like more than even two episodes, like, you know, breakfast is so important and don't skip it, start eating it. Um, but I can see people also, they get so focused on breakfast and then 
they're like, well, I did breakfast really well. And they let the rest of the day kind of go to crap, but they don't eat until dinner. And it's like, no, it's not yeah. like the point. The point is yes, have a good breakfast, but then also like continue that throughout the day. Yeah. So there's a few things to that. One is I talk a lot about willpower and there's a lot of like biochemistry to willpower. But one of those things is that everything in our lives drinks from the same cup of willpower. So it's not a coincidence that in the morning, it's easier for breakfast to be, you know, as planned because we haven't used as much of that willpower, right? Then as we go through the day and we have to make work decisions and we have to make decisions as we commute and we have all these other things in life that require us to choose anything. It's not a coincidence that by the end of the day, it we're exhausted. We've got nothing left and it makes it infinitely harder to choose quality fuel, right? So you're exactly right. We want to eat throughout the day. And the more we eat throughout the day, it helps replenish that cup of willpower, right? When we're eating quality nutrition throughout the day, it leaves us with something left at the end of the day to help keep going. So a guideline that I like to give people is like a meal it's probably going to last us four to like five, five and a half hours, depending on how much we have. A snack is going to last us one to two. So think about that as we plan the day. So like if you know you have a big meeting and you're not going to have a chance to eat, then either we want to eat more to last us through that meeting or we want to plan something that's going to be, you know, easy to, maybe it's a, you know, that's a great time for, you know, a protein shake or a smoothie or something because we could sip it in a meeting without being obnoxious, <laughs> you know, like digging out our salad, like, don't mind me, you know, <laughs> um, you know, or like I have clients who are in classes, right? It's like, sometimes we have to plan and bring something to have during that class so that we're held over and maybe dinner ends up being two smaller snacks, but like breakfast and lunch were more of a meal size because that's how the day allowed, you know? So sometimes it's a little bit of planning and to say, okay, like the next chance I'm going to have, or I know that based on this breakfast, I'm not going to be hungry again until this time. Cool. You know, I think it can sort of, and every person's different in what we have, but I think those give us some decent guidelines to help plan the day so that it's not breakfast was awesome. And then now it's 7.30 and I'm ravenous. Yeah, no, I think that is really helpful. And I think for people who are trying to figure out, okay, do I need to eat more often or am I better with bigger meals less frequently? I think that two things to watch for, one would be if you're getting any sort of cravings or like immediate hunger after meals, if you're getting hungry right after meals and probably what you're eating isn't right for your body. I see this happen a lot with like oatmeal in the morning because we think of oh. as like a health food, but if we're not adding protein and fat to it, then we could eat oatmeal an hour later, be hungry. So that's usually a good sign that that's whatever version of oatmeal you're making is probably not the best breakfast for you. And then the other version is, is the, the, the energy. So if your energy is dropping, you know, a couple yep. hours after your meal, you know, did you eat enough to balance your blood sugar? Did you not eat enough to begin with? So just kind of checking in or, with your body. No, yeah. Or like even what we had, right? Like a lot of times, like you were saying with the breakfast and 
I, we're sold such a bill of goods when it comes to the marketing around food, you know, and it's, it just does us all such a disservice to pay attention to anything on the front of a package, <laughs> you know, like even with oatmeal, you know, adding, like you said, adding the protein, adding the fat and adding fiber, because a lot of the oatmeal we think has fiber, but it actually doesn't by the time it's the kind that we're making, you know? So um, it's such a big piece to recognize too. Like cravings can also, like a lot of times when we're craving sugar, what we actually need is protein because our body's going, I'm exhausted and I need fuel, you know? And there, there can be a lot to cravings too, in terms of even being able to recognize what we're craving, you know, is it a specific food or is it something, you know, and those can be indications of different things going on too. So like, that self-awareness piece is such a big part of this process on all fronts, like even to recognize what hunger feels like, you know. Which kind of brings to the next question. Um, what would you suggest for somebody who has trouble battling being hangry and making healthy choices in the moment? Yeah, so it's a lot of the same things, right? So protein and fiber at every meal and our quality fat. And recognizing we're going to get hangry when our blood sugar is too low. It's not a moral failing. We've either not eaten enough or have gone too long, right? And so part of it is even just recognizing it for what it is. Like, oh, I'm hangry. I got, you know, like I went too long. Here's what my body needs versus, oh, I went too long. Now I'm going to go get the croissant and the lemon loaf because that's what sounds really good right now. Right. Like if we can intellectually recognize, then it gives us a fighting chance because sometimes, again, like we crave the higher carbohydrate, the more sugary things when our blood sugar drops too low and we get to that hangry. Right. And there's nothing wrong with you. Right. It's of course that's what's happening. And so instead of feeling like we're a failure, we can sort of now going left brain, right brain, like we can sort of look at it more intellectually and say, oh, I get why that looks so good to me right now. And what I actually need is this. Yeah. I think just kind of st taking a step back and kind of doing a recall of your day sometimes and looking at like, okay, what did I eat? How did I feel throughout the day? Sometimes I'll actually have my patients do this. If they're doing a food journal, I'll have them track, you know, how satiated were you after? How soon yes. after did you get hungry again? And then you can start to kind of plan your day. Like, like you said, if somebody has class and they know they're going to have a certain schedule on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they can start to plan ahead. I think that a lot of our food choices can be improved by just planning ahead. Yeah. And I think it also helps us like, you know, if we're journaling, right. And we're keeping this log, even looking at identifying like our behavior around the food, right. What's our body telling us versus what our mind is telling us. You know, can we even decipher between the two? Because that can be confusing sometimes. You know, like I'll do um, with my clients, like hunger ratings, right? Physically checking in with your stomach. And then, oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> like my stomach is actually not hungry, but my head is telling me I want all these things. That's more likely an indication of something stressful happening or looking for an escape or looking for something else, right? Using food to remedy something that's not actually hunger related, physical hunger related, right? 
And I think too, similar to a hunger rating, we'll look at energy ranking, right? Like one to 10, one being like, I can hardly get out of bed and 10 being like, I'm jumping out of bed, ready to do it all again. Right. Even looking at where we're feeling throughout the day and our self-esteem, you know, if one is like fake it till you make it and 10 is like, I feel awesome. Get out of my way. Right. It gives us extra tools and insight to see what impacts those different choices. And one of my favorite things in, um, you know, looking at logs, you know, and keeping track of the data is that a lot of times what we're experiencing is a function of something that happened, you know, even up to three days ago. And we have this like recency bias where we think that however we're feeling is a function of what we ate 10 minutes ago. And sometimes it's not really that. And so we're not great at remembering what happened three days ago. So by collecting the data, we can then look at it more objectively and start to look at patterns across time. And then we can start to identify some of those things for us that are personally more challenging, that are probably different than maybe what it might be for the next person. Yeah. I think when it comes to that, having an outsider's perspective, objectively look at it because, you know, we can make it seem so simple of just like eat consistently, pair your meals better, you know, you know, be logical. Think of like why you're having these cravings, but it can be really hard to do when you're in it. And then you're balancing work and home life and all these other things. That's where like working with a professional who can kind of help you prioritize, like, okay, focus on this, you know, these one or two things first and then build on from there can be really helpful. So you don't feel so overwhelmed of like feeling like every day you're starting over and then you're failing and you're starting over. Um, and you have someone kind of like in your corner of like kind of cheering you on saying like, look at the progress you've made, look where you've come from, look at the changes you've made to kind of give you that accountability and encouragement to continue to move forward. Make this Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, like you or I come in, right? Because there's so much to this that a lot of times when we try to do it on our own, like you just said, like we feel like we're failing every day. Like I promise you, you're not. And there are very logical, chemical, uh, you know, explanations for what's going on. And so when we can look at it that way, when we can look at it as data rather than the food police, right? It shifts our perspective on everything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, if people are wanting to learn more about your program, potentially work with you, where can they find you? Yeah. So uh website is a salad with a side of fries.com. My podcast, salad with a side of fries, wherever you like to listen, we're there. And all social media, I am at Jen Trepic, J-E-N-N-T-R-E-P-E-C-K. Amazing. And I'm just curious, what led to your name, um, Salad with a Side of Fries? Yeah. Well, so first of all, it is like my default order a lot of times. Um, But it was, I was sort of toying with a lot of names, but it was really the best name that gives away what we do, right? It's wellness and nutrition, but for real life. Yeah. I love that. balance. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here. I know this episode is going to be super helpful for a lot of the listeners. So thank you for taking the time. um, And it was lovely to speak with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. That is all I have for you today. Make sure you go give Jen a follow over on Instagram. And if you have any questions or topic requests, be sure to send them to Dr. Danielle period ND on Instagram or TikTok. And I will see you next Tuesday.